Hi, this is Bruce Clark, host of Twip Weddings. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. This is TWIP, episode 478, The Rise and Fall of Brooks Institute. Brooks Institute, a visual art school whose alumni include Academy Award and Pulitzer Prize winners, announced last week the end of their 70-year run. After years of declining enrollment, tighter federal rules on for-profit schools, and efforts to move the school to downtown Ventura, California, representatives announced the doors will permanently close on October 31st, 2016, and that all classes in the fall semester have been canceled. I personally was acting chairman of the board for the school up until last week when myself and the remaining board members made individual and unanimous decisions to resign from the board following the termination of the school's president by the parent company. In this interview, I sit down with Jeffrey Burke, a former chairman of the board at the school, to discuss the impact of this closure, what's next for the students, faculty, and the for-profit education industry in general. It's Monday, August 15th, 2016, and this is TWIP. Hey folks, welcome to a, another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today I'm joined by my special guest, Mr. Jeffrey Burke. Jeffrey is the former chairman of the board of Brooks Institute of Photography, and I am the most recent chairman of the board. There is no chairman now because of reasons that we will we will discuss on this call. But we we decided it might be appropriate, especially this week, considering last week's announcement that the school will be closing. That uh, you know, after seventy years in operation, maybe today would be a good time for he and I to sit down. And talk through not only Brooks Institute to the extent that we can. Obviously, we can't be as forthcoming as we'd like to be because there's still lots of moving parts happening. So we'll we'll go as deep as we can without pulling, you know, too much of the covers back. But uh, we're going to talk about Brooks. We're going to talk about the students. We're going to talk about the faculty and what's happening there. We want to talk about the history of the school and then also just overall what's going on in brick-and-mortar education in the United States and, frankly, all over the world. So, Jeffrey Burke, welcome to This Week in Photo. Frederick, good to be here with you, my friend. Man, this is the first time that you and I have have sat down face-to-face since uh, since when? It's been, what, a year or something? Oh, probably. Was it the last board meeting that I was at, or I forget? It's been a while. Yeah, it was the last last board meeting that you were at before you uh, you jumped ship. <laughs> well, <laughs> you resigned from the board. Of I, you know, yeah, I stepped off the board is how I like to put it. <laughs> you and, uh, plank, you know, and yeah. I did that, as you know, I did that very reluctantly. I was did. very involved with that school for a long time. I was very proud to be associated with it. And it was a very tough day that day that I had to send my uh, resignation letter in. But it was just the thing I had to do. You put a ton of blood, sweat, and tear. I want to get into that a little bit, but you, you were one of those the chairman of the board that just went above and beyond. And just to set the frame, it's you're retired, right? So you're you were retired from the photographic industry. You're you 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 call yourself a recovering photographer. You now devote a lot of your time to arts and. You know, you you know your way around the business, and you've been connected. So the the Brooks project, as chairman of the board, was kind of a side project for you, right? Well, it was. You know, it was something that, as you say, I did put an awful lot of time and effort into. I I believed in that school, and over the years, I had come to know just an awful lot of people who who went to school there, who taught there. Uh, in nineteen ninety five, when we still had our photo studio operating, we were we were a good-sized studio, commercial advertising studio, and we started an internship program with a a Brooks student, and over the next 10 years, we had about 200 different interns come through, about 100 of which were from Brooks, the other half being from various schools all over the country. It was a very robust program, and uh, the Brooks kids were always on the ball. They knew what they were doing. They were technically proficient. They had a good attitude for the most part. And uh, it was that internship program that we had at our studio 
that really brought me into working with Brooks, first on their um, the advisory board for the photo program, pro photo program, and then eventually onto the board when they formed a new board of trustees for accreditation purposes. So I was involved with that school for an awfully long time, and I have a lot of friends there still. And the closing of the school, it, it comes hard to all of us. Yeah, no, it totally does. And, and as, as current chairman of the board, we worked really hard to, to try to figure out what to do. You know, what, oh, what's sure. the right move to, to make everyone involved happy? And ultimately, obviously, as, as we know, it led to where, where the announcement that happened this past Friday that the school was closing. And like you hit, on, you hit it right on the head. The whole idea, the, the Brooks name, I always thought about Brooks as the Harvard or Princeton or Stanford of photography, right? I mean, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I have to tell you honestly. There was always this subtle rivalry between Brooks on the one hand and Art Center in Pasadena on the other. And it was always a very friendly rivalry. Bill Robbins, who's the chair of the, uh, the Pro Photo Department, is an Art Center grad, and people love to give him no end of grief about that one. They do. Um, you know, Art Center was a more pricey school, and, uh, but Brooks was a highly respected school. And in fact, if you go out into the professional photography community now, if you go to the trade associations, uh, they are populated very heavily with Brooks grads. You know, that school has a great reputation for turning out proficient working photographers for years. I mean, ever since the end of World War II. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? With the, with the alum, and this, this is my first time being involved with a school closure, what does this do to the, the Brooks brand for the people that hold Brooks degrees right now? Does it, does it make it stronger because now you're part of a a lineage that they're not making any more of or well, because does it you're make it weaker? Is that what you're it is? collectible now. Yeah. Your, your value yeah. has increased. You know, I don't know. I, I, I have to say, uh, on the one hand and, and we can get into it, but I think a big part of the reason that photography education in general has declined or suffered in some way is because of the fact that you really don't need a bachelor's degree to practice professional photography. You don't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to the extent that, you know, anybody is going to be hurt because their school closed, uh, for the most part, most of your clients never ask you, oh, do you have a degree in photography? Me, I see it. You know, that just doesn't ever happen. So, um, yeah, more, I let me, know. let me see your portfolio, right? Let me right, see what you can right. do today. It's not about your pedigree. It's about your book. It's all about mm-hmm. your book. What have you got? You know, so, uh, I don't know the, the closing of Brooks is really, I, I think internally hurtful to a lot of people who took pride in the school, all the graduates that went there and, you know, the faculty and staff that are still there now. I mean, my heart goes out to them, but most especially the current students. You know, those poor kids, I have to tell you, they should be treated better. Okay, let me say that at the outset. They should have gotten more notice. Closing the school three weeks, before, just announcing a sudden closure, three weeks before the start of the new semester that's ridiculous that's unheard of and it's it's in my in my opinion it's completely irresponsible yeah yeah well let's dive into that again and and again i preface this with you know we have to be sensitive because this is this is kind of a uh an ongoing issue they just announced the fact that school was closing or the the parent company announced that they were closing the school or the lawyer from the parent company announced that they were closing right. the school Friday to the student body and faculty. And as we record this, it's Monday. So the, the wound is still open. Oh, it's, I would say, it's still in play. Everything is moving very yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah. So this is in many ways breaking news as we record this. And I'm lucky to, to have the opportunity to sit down with someone like you to kind of, and, and the whole impetus of this interview was to, people want to know. I mean, I've been inundated with interested and disinterested interested people asking questions everything from what happened to what now and you know obviously there are the hey can we get those students over you know so all that stuff has been been coming in but i don't know jeff what, what what do you think if you put yourself in the in the in the position of a student so one of the brooks students right now that are the affected students you're watching this video right now and you're thinking, okay, what do I do now? What, what would you tell them? What, what, what's the advice you'd give them? Again, as you say, without getting too uh, involved in details, because it is a kind of a moving, there are a lot of moving pieces right now. Yeah. I know that there, I have already heard about a couple of attempts to try to place the students um, somewhere 
where, especially, you know, the kids that were, that were close to graduating, uh, for God's sakes, you know, I really want to see them land on their feet somehow. So I know that there are at least two different efforts that I've heard about of trying to place the students somewhere um, that's appropriate, you know, that, that has a good program. And so you, know, you certainly want to see that. Um, yeah. 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 And, and the same thing, you know, I've, I've done some, some grassroots reaching out to industry professionals to kind of pull together a digital care package, you know, for, for the students, you yeah. know, this is something I just feel so bad. It's like, like, I don't know what I would have done if this had happened to me as I've, I've been working so hard and you have your, your identity in many ways is tied to the school. You're like, Hey, I'm a Brooks student. I'm a Brooks student. Right. And boom, Right. You're not a Brooks student anymore, and your your future is kind of up in the air. Well, and, but I have to tell you, you know, and we can get more into this, but this didn't come as a surprise to anyone. I don't think. Yeah, I think that's the, true. The sudden the sudden manner in which the closure got announced and the quick closing of the school that was surprising, certainly. But let's face it, you know, we were on the board, and I think everybody at the school, involved with the school, even the students knew that the school had been in trouble for a while, and and for a variety of reasons. You know, um, there's a lot of finger-pointing that could be done uh, about this or that or other specific things, but I think more broadly, it's probably a, a, a matter of changing educational, changing, changing business, um, changing industry norms, you know, as I said, you don't necessarily have to have a degree to be a photographer. And these days, with the technology being so good as it is, you know, most anybody can take a well-exposed picture. Or they can push the button and the camera will take a well-exposed picture, right? So it really yeah. comes down to, you know, composition and lighting, right? And, and having something interesting to say from your heart. So I don't think that anybody saw this as a big surprise. And I think if you were a student there... Uh, you know, you had heard rumblings. People had heard things. And the fact that the school over the past few years has been bounced around and bounced around, you know, they, they got really priced out of Santa Barbara, where the home where the school was founded and where they had been for so many years. Uh, Santa Barbara real estate is just through the roof these days. So the move down to Ventura, uh, you know, was the 10 years ago now uh, to open the, the first big campus down there was the first indication of things changing. And then just recently, they were moving out of the, the big uh, movie studio building there and moving into downtown. But uh, So no one was completely surprised, but I think, as I say, the suddenness of it is a shock. Yeah, yeah, it is a shock. So, okay, so jump in your time machine, right? One of those, one of those cool art pieces that you put together. So. Okay. Kind of but, retro, yeah. kind of st- streamlined, yeah. Yeah, you're in an H.G. Wells time machine, right. and uh, you go back to the point of inflection where where Brooks should have done this versus that. Where would you say that is? It, is it around the time when Lynda.com was? Because I, I kind of feel like Brooks, being a 70-year-old institution, should have been Linda, you know, in a lot of ways. It should have, it should have if, you know, and, and we're armchair quarterbacking, obviously, with the time sure. machine. but. If Brooks had shifted and kind of gone in the direction of digital when Linda was just getting steam and Kelby training and Creative Live and et cetera, et cetera, if Brooks had at least jumped into that arena, I think using the Brooks brand and its alumni network, it could have done some things. Do you think so? Or well, no? yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of that. So bringing education online, sure. Now, as you know, as you know, being part of the board, we we were very much in favor of doing something like that. Mm-hmm. The faculty was a little bit hesitant, and let's be honest, you know, most of the faculty that are there have been there for a while, and they're very used to doing things in a certain way. But I think there was a certain amount of acceptance on the part of everybody there that bringing education, bringing the Brooks education online, was was an important thing to do. And there were lots of different opportunities and prospects and things that we had talked about. So yeah, certainly that's part of it. Um, you know, I, I think if you're going to talk about the history of the school, not old ancient history, but from certainly from the time that I became involved, uh, the school was owned by the Brooks family until I guess it was '99 or 2000. Uh, I gave the I gave a commencement address in December of 1999, just as Ernie Brooks Jr. was stepping away from the school. They had sold it to CEC, Career Education Corp. in Chicago. That was a major turning point for the school both for good and for bad, as you know. Um, on the one hand, it was a major influx of capital. They got all new computers, which were still pretty new at the time, back in 2000. 
Uh, that was still part of the photo digital revolution back then. In fact, it was early yeah. in doing it. Um, and, you know, the prospects were looking good for a while. In the next few years, the student population ballooned, swelled enormously to 2,500 students, which was way more than they were prepared to handle. Unfortunately, as you know, and as is pretty public now, uh, in 2005, they were smacked with a class action lawsuit by the state of California, uh, which was very difficult for the school. And it was from 2005 till today that enrollment began to decline and continued to decline. And, you know, again, you know, for all that the CEC, the, the corporate masters did to try to help the school out, they also put tremendous pressure on the admissions people to um, to bring in bodies, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, I wouldn't want to go on the air saying that CEC is guilty or culpable of this or that or the other, but there was a class action lawsuit that was settled. Yeah. Um, and that stayed with the school for a while. That did. Uh, and I believe so that, was that was that you think that that was the, the point of inflection or that well, was that just yeah. that uh, was certainly the beginning of, one, of the decline. Yeah, it was one of the punches. Right. It was it was a big punch. You know, having get, having a class action lawsuit uh, thrown against your school really kept a lot of people from from you know, made them hesitant about about enrolling there. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, another, you know, years and years ago, uh, way before I was involved. Uh, I know that Brooks had given up WASC, uh, what is it, Western Area, Western Association of Schools and Colleges, WASC, which is the good regional accreditation that most schools have, and uh, because they didn't want to be involved with all the nonsense that went along with it, and they instead took national accreditation, which you would think national accreditation would be the better, but it's not. And in fact, ACICS, their national accreditor, has very recently been in the news themselves. In fact, I believe they're about to be shut down, if I'm not mistaken. So, and Brooks was ACICS uh, accredited. So, you know, that really didn't help them very much either. Yeah, yeah. So a, a series of unfortunate events that led to, uh, I would say, in many ways, not a very timely or well-conceived shutdown of, of the school. Not at all. Not at yeah. all. Oh my! You know, in a proper, in a, in a real world scenario, what should happen is the, the there should be an announcement that the school will eventually be closing, and they would perform what's called a teach out. Right. So right. Right. most schools, what would happen is uh, they would announce the school is closing. They would stop accepting new students. They would stop their marketing. They would close their admissions, but they would continue to teach all of the students who are at the school at the location that they're at until the last student is graduated or has left. That's the way it's supposed to work. Had CEC, the corporate owners of the school up until uh, last year, if they had still had the school, they would have done that because they have done that with a number of their other schools. Another major inflection point, since you're asking about that, of course, would be the United States Congress enacting new regulations specifically about for-profit schools that put just a lot of difficult restrictions on them, basically trying to force them out of business. You know, now I am not a superhero of, of uh, or a super fan, I should say, of, of for-profit education. And CEC, the former parent company of Brooks, you know, you could argue that there were an awful lot of missteps and a lot of neglect that though they did put some money into the school, it didn't necessarily work out to the betterment of the school or the students, right? Um, but they saw the writing on the wall. They knew that when the new what's called gainful employment regulations came into effect this year, that there was a very good chance that Brooks would lose all its federal Title IV funding. Yep. Um, and that was the reason that they offloaded the school as quickly as they, as they, could, as they did. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a mess. I mean, in... in Related news, what is it, in Washington, so Washington Artworks and the Washington School of Photography, founded in 1976, announced that it would be filing for bankruptcy and closing their doors immediately, also leaving many students and artists with financial losses and nowhere to go. So this is another one, right? So, yeah. so let's, let's just go on a different tangent here. What does this mean for... For brick and mortar education, does this do these two major institutions in the photography industry shutting down mean that brick and mortar schools are just no longer viable in today's 
kind of, you know, zeitgeist of how people want to learn because it's all YouTube, like what we're on now? Right. Or, or is, it, is it just financial mismanagement? What? What is it? Well, okay, so the next inflection point or another very important aspect of this whole conversation is the rising cost of education, right? Mm-hmm. And when you combine dramatically rising college costs along with the effects of the 2008 recession, and you get to a situation where you realize <clears throat> kids have to spend, you know, 80, in the case of books, 81000 or $100,000 to go to school and come out to a very uncertain job market. Well, it kind of begs the question of whether or not it's worth it, right? Mm-hmm. Whether or not paying for the school and spending the time, whether or not it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay for itself by the time that you graduate. Now, I happen to think there are a lot of reasons for going to college generally, not just technical training or photography training, but, but just in general. Going to college, it makes your brain work. It, it helps your brain muscle learn new things and, and you know, think reasonably and comparatively about how the world works. And you meet people who are also like that, that are, that are learning about the world and insightful and thoughtful and inquisitive. Um, so I think there's a lot of value to going to college. I have a daughter who is just about to graduate from Otis here in L.A. Um, a, lot of, a lot of value to that, that, that human-to-human interpersonal absolutely. social dynamic that is, that is school, right? That is it. But, you know, beyond that, I have to tell you, technical training that is really expensive, that gives you a degree that, as we said, you don't necessarily need, you can see why the fortunes of the school started, started plummeting. And... I think that for the kind of work that we do, right, for working photographers or these days, you know, uh, working visual artists of all sorts that just use photography as one of many tools, uh, I I think there are a lot of different ways to learn that now, Um, not the least of which, of course, is lynda.com and all the other online programs that you mentioned, you know. Um, So I think that's part of it. Is it, is it time for something new, Jeff? I mean, is, is it time for something hybrid that, that speaks to that community sort of atoms to atoms interaction and social dynamics of the physical with, uh, with a digital component as well? We haven't seen that yet. I mean, we see kind of di- different smatterings of that, but nothing like that. Well, you know, you bring up a good point because I think there is a lot of value with, you know, hands-on instruction and a human body right there that can tell you how to do something and show you with his or her hands how it's done Mm -hmm. and then answer your question immediately. I mean, you just don't get that in an online scenario, really, mostly. Um, And so, yeah, I think there's still a value of that. Is there, you know, reason to move into a hybrid scenario? Well, we had been talking about that for a while, you know, an online, a hybrid program that has a very large online component with occasional, you know, uh, pilgrimage to the mothership, right, yep. where you can yep. go in. And, and I think there's a lot to be said for that because people like to learn from people. Uh, they do. And I, and I think you learn probably more effectively by having somebody talk to you and, and show you how to do things. So, sure, things are changing. And I think if you can blend, if you can meld together technology and human relationships... It's probably the best of all worlds. I don't. I don't know that anybody's really doing that well or effectively yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the gauntlet is thrown down. Yeah, because it's it's like I mean, most kids today and most people are are consuming most of their media on these things, right? Yeah. So it's that's where you learn from. So if you can hit them there, and then also have, like you said, I, I 100% agree with you. Like having that impersonal, that in person. Hey, teach, I got a question. I really can't grok. I've read this paragraph 30 times and I don't understand wh- yeah, why yeah. F stops, you know, why smaller numbers mean larger average. You know? Right. <laughs> I don't right. understand that. Can you explain that to me? Sometimes you need a person to talk you through that. Oh, and you frequently. Can, you can't get it. Sure. Yeah. You, you frequently need that. In fact, I'm, I'm sort of struggling with trying to uh, learn After Effects right now. You know, take cool. my, my Photoshop stuff that I'm doing and marry it to a timeline and make it work. But there are times when you just can't get the one damn widget or button to work right. And somebody who knows how to do it, I would love to just look over my shoulder and say, hey, teach, how do I do this? Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's, there's certainly an opportunity for that. And, you know, Brooks was brimming with different sorts of opportunities for, for uh, not only school at the Ventura campus, but there were requests from all over the world, from New Zealand and from, you know, things in, in different par- areas that they wanted to have Brooks-branded instructors come and speak to their students and establish a brick-and-mortar institution for exactly that reason, so that you could get that human interaction, 
you know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, Jeff, let's talk a little bit about the faculty at Brooks, right? So we lots of amazing photographers down there. Okay. I mean, yeah, it, it, they just the the talent pool down there is ridiculous. So okay. those people those people have forgotten more than I probably will ever <laughs> know about <laughs> photography. And now they're in a they're in a, pr- a predicament as well, you know, which is suddenly and kind of weirdly thrust upon them. I throw it. I put it in the in the. I draw the analogy of Silicon Valley. Like once a quarter, once a quarter in Silicon Valley, you know, depending on how the numbers are, corporations shed people. You there's know, a flush. So yep. There's there's a flush. You know, especially around the end of the year. So people in Silicon Valley are are not strangers to layoffs or being thrust back into the. The job seeker pool, however, in education, right. there tends to be it's different. It's you different. tend to Absolutely. you tend to like burrow in and be there for long periods of time, which makes looking for a job kind of a foreign experience. How should they proceed? Like, what advice would you give to those folks that are watching? Oh, uh, I you know, there's nothing that I can say to them. I I'll be honest, yeah. they. You know, all of the faculty there were aware of the situation of the school, and I'm sure that they have all had plenty of opportunities to sit quietly and think about what the next move might be when the day come came. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know that they were expecting it to come quite so suddenly, but, you know, here we are. These people that are there teaching, great men and women that, for the most part, have been there for a while, you know, they know how to teach photography but finding another place to do that that is similar to Brooks, oh, good luck on that. I, I don't know where you, where you do that. I really yeah. don't know. And, I, and well, I wish the best for them, and I hope that they all do well. Because as you say, these are tremendously talented people who have been in the business a long time, and they know how things work. You know, um, So they do have value. The question is, where do you put that value to work? Yeah, and, it, and is it a question of... Hey, you know, hey, I'm I'm on the Titanic and now I'm on a life raft. I want to go go get on the Queen Mary over there. <laughs> you know, well, or, you know, or do you get on land and go find something else? <laughs> analogy. I mean, I, I think that you know, there's probably opportunity for for the instructors there to be able to participate in some of the online education that's going yeah, on for um, you know for them to be able to. I know a number of them have been involved with uh, national trade associations, and I'm. And I hope they would continue to be. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities for people with their experience and their knowledge of the industry. Um, uh, but uh, certainly I, I'm not the one to tell them how to do it. Uh, I yeah. wish them all luck. I do. I, I hope they all do well and land on their feet. Yeah, well, I think, I think we're both in agreement that uh, this, this whole situation is unfortunate. Yeah. And it's it's someone someone drew the analogy of just sort of like a slow motion crash that, you are watching, but you you can't do anything about it. You know, you're like, right. no, turn left, and, wow. and you can't. You know, there's nothing that you can do because of all these forces that you mentioned. Everything from the class action lawsuit to, you know, which triggered the declining in enrollment to industry forces to the constant barrage of online competition taking away mind share to the fact that you don't need a you don't need to hold up a degree to go get a job. You hold up right. a book, and if your book is better than the guy that had, has a degree, who's going to get the job, right? Well, although, I, I, you know, let me take a little exception to, to what you said about the slow motion crash where you can't do anything. So, mm-hmm. as you know, uh, a couple of years ago, while I was still on the board, you were there, we knew that the school was in perilous in a perilous situation, and... A number of us, myself, you included other people, we were involved with trying to buy the school away from CEC and turn it into a not-for-profit yeah. uh, institution because we knew that the, that the um, gainful employment regulations were going to be coming down. CEC, the parent company, knew this. They wanted us to take the school. You know, I flew to Chicago. I talked with them about this at their invitation. Uh, and as you know, I spent a number of months trying to rally a group uh, to, to take the school pro- um, nonprofit and, and, you know, give it a future. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the parent corporation, you know, we were asking, along with my, our attorney, we were asking an awful lot for them. We were really trying to get them to help us take the school not for profit and you know eventually what they said to me was 
we are not in the business of helping our products become not-for-profit so we can spin them off. That's not what our shareholders are empowering us to do. And, you know, I get that. I, I do get that. Um, they knew that it was going to cost a lot of money to do a teach-out at that school. And we were, and we knew how much it was going to cost or how much we thought it would cost to do a teach-out at the school. So we were holding out for the deal that would have made it work. You know, give us the school, keep some of the liabilities, give us some cash. And in the end, they weren't willing to go where we needed to go. And instead, they found the current owners who apparently were kind of unaware of what they were getting into. And here we are today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's clear because you don't you don't buy you don't pay, spend that kind of money for a school and then close it later. And then you know we don't want to go too deep inside. There were some missteps in terms of management shuffles and all that stuff that happened that that could have contributed to a lot of this as well, right? Very, well, that's very true. And you know, unfortunately, as you know, the board of trustees at this school was not a completely in charge board. I mean, realistically. We were an advise and consent board on certainly everything academic and a lot of the operational stuff. But in the end, the school was owned by a for-profit corporation who maintained their ownership, and they get to call the final shots on the big stuff in the end, no matter how much we would squeal and yelp at them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're the bosses. They're the masters. So we did the best we could. It's it's unfortunate. It gives you the opportunity to say, well, I asked the opinion of my board, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And they do ask, yeah. and then they smile and do whatever the hell they want, you know? And so. do something else completely different. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, which is frustrating. I know it's frustrating for you, which, you know, part of that has contributed to your, your resignation from the board. And and part of that contributed to contributed to ultimately, as has been publicly noted, the entire board resigning right. last right. week. You know, a week right. ago yesterday, as we record this, the the board of trustees resigned, and uh, you know, then that following Friday, the owners made the decision to to shutter the school. And I think it was that Monday. Was it that Monday? No, it was that that it was that Tuesday, a week ago, that they terminated the president. Eddie right. Clift from the right. school. So, right. and know, by the I, way, it, let's point out. I, although I am not there, and you were, and you mm -hmm. were the chair at the time, it's my understanding that the board, who was supposed to have the authority to remove the president, was not the entity that removed the president. But no, no, say, we, we were not. We, don't want to get we were not the that. entity. No. Thank you for thank you for highlighting that. We were not the entity that that uh, that that terminated him. In fact. Yeah, there's. I don't want to go into it, but yeah, we we did not do it. Um, uh, in fact, we wanted to vote on some things that we never even got to got to vote on because he had been terminated that morning. Yeah. So it's like a it's like a reality show, man. Seriously, it's like oh, it a reality. I tell you, it was always interesting. It was never a dull moment being uh, yeah. involved with that school. It wasn't, um, and there were so many different initiatives and projects and things going on. Just academically and, and creatively, there were a lot of things going on at the school that made it a real pleasure to be there. I have to say, you know, going and, and seeing the new student work uh, every semester or so and, yeah. and being involved with the different projects and the travel projects that they did and all that was, uh, it was, uh, it was entertaining and fun and it was a sort of a great place to be. I always liked yeah. being there. I did. Well, let, let's close this off. So, what, what's uh, what's next for for Brooks right now? From you, I know you're you're sort of outside looking in from the stands, yeah, yeah. but you know, what, what do you think is next for Brooks? Well, as I say, I, I have spoken in the last couple of days. You know, everybody, everybody likes to chit chat and, and gossip as soon as things like this hit the fan, and so I've I've uh, received a number of um, texts and calls from from friends and other people there and yeah. and I know the thing that everyone is most concerned about right now are the students right yeah um, especially the ones that were close to graduation so uh, as I say I'm, I'm I think there are some efforts underway to try to place the students um, in the best possible scenario and you know have them uh, as I said land on their feet so that's the most important thing right now. Um, beyond that, I'm sure it's going to be a messy quagmire of finger pointing and lawsuits. Um, and I have to say, I'm kind of glad that I'm not involved with that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's the real shame. You know, I, there's also been some talk that I've heard about somehow reviving the school or pulling it out of the ashes. And, you know, God bless the people that are thinking like that. I, 
Yeah. It's a wonderful, noble thought. Whether or not that's going to ever really happen, Frederick, I, I couldn't say. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, if, yeah. If some angel swooped down like a like a Mark Cuban or, you know, yeah. <laughs> who knows, someone that says, "Hey, here's here's a billion dollars. Make sure. that thing work." Sure. You know, it could, oh, for uh, about four million, it. I think we could make it work. So. Just throwing that out there. Is, Any of your audience four million dollars has four million dollars kicking around. Would like to like to do a startup with a whole new um, with some experienced uh, faculty and a whole new model. Give us a call. I'm sure there's yeah. somebody who would be interested in, in working on that. You know. Hey, hey, LinkedIn. Are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Microsoft, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Links, right. Micro Linda. Linda, whatever, Mike. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Micro Linda Soft. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, Jeff, what, what's going on with you, man? I don't want to leave this interview without diving into the stuff that you're working on. Oh. You make some crazy, awesome sort of what the heck is going on inside of this man's brain type sculptures. Oh, tell, I see, tell me about that. You, I see you got my, my latest images. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, you know, and I'm, as you I'm know, sending Frederick you some, Ford, some help over there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, I was, I was a product, I was an advertising photographer, I was a product photographer, specifically, I was a food photographer for 20 years, yeah. and, I, and that's what I knew how to do, and I did food photos for years and years and years, and eventually we segued our business into being a stock photo agency, and we sold that a bunch of years ago, and, which gave me the opportunity to become more involved with things like Brooks, but it also gave me the opportunity to become an artist, and mm -hmm. since I can't draw or paint, then photography is the thing. And Photoshop, those are the things that I know how to do. So I've been working on this, uh, this series of images now since 2009. Um, the, the series is, is actually called Beautiful Again. And I, I photograph, I collect old costume jewelry at cool. flea markets and swap meets and things. And I bring them back to my studio and I have a little jewelry lighting set up. And I shoot each piece individually and put them in a, in a Lightroom database I've got about 4,000 pictures of jewelry now, along with big shoe boxes full of jewelry. And in Photoshop, then, I composite those into being these wild and wacky, what I call scenes of utopian bliss. Um, so I am enabled by my, my professional advertising photography experience, but I am mostly inspired by 12 years of Catholic school, which you know makes me a recovering Catholic. So... There you are. I put that all together, and my series is really based on the idea of mythology and uh, the, the, the myth of paradise, as I call it. And um, I've been doing a number of different projects that are all sort of centered around that. Uh, this year has been exceptionally busy. I did a, I've done two art fairs. I had a major installation at the Palm Springs Art Fair where I uh, installed a, a big 18-foot-tall installation called Fabulosus Fabularis, which I thought was a fabulous name. Uh, <laughs> that is kind of fabulous. It was, a, it was, it was what I called a, uh, an homage to uh, inventive mythology. I made it all up, but it's, it's kind of cool. I made up uh, little fake languages to go with it. Mm -hmm. uh, I just had now, a, is, it, is your is your art like like what's the gist of it is it is it poking fun at religion is it is it kind of on the side of religion in terms of mythology or like what what what's the gist what what do you what nerve are you trying to put I try you know I try not to say poking fun though you know you could certainly see that or say that about it it's it's really sort of you know the human need to believe that we have a place in the universe and we are important and we will live again. And there's just a need for that. People, there's an inherent human need to feel like you will live beyond your body, right? Now, I don't know if that's true. Nobody really knows if that's true, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but certainly we have a need. And if you look at, you know, the religions of the world and cultural uh, uh, instincts and Things that are that just happen throughout history, uh, throughout mankind, we have this need to do this. And so I use jewelry because jewelry is a man-made expression of beauty, yeah. where religion, or more specifically paradise, is the ultimate, I believe, the ultimate man-made expression of beauty. So I use the one to build the other, and, um, and that's what I've been doing. So it's kind of cool. I... I I only occasionally piss somebody off, but for the most part, it's kind of fun, unique imagery, and it's, 
I'll tell you this, it's not like anything that anyone else is doing. It's a pretty unique, stylistically, formal elements of it. It's a, it's a pretty unique style of work that uh, I've, I've created here. It is. It is. It's beautiful. And these, like you said, these are not pocketable works of art, right? <laughs> these are these are giant room-sized type installations that you, you spend time putting together when you, when you assemble them on site, right? Oh, I do. I mean, I have some wall art that, you know, I certainly sell, and I have a gallery, a couple of galleries where I sell them through. Um, but for the most part, the installations that I do... They're either big, tall, towering pieces, or I just had a, uh, just last month I had a show at my gallery in L.A., 825, uh, where I wallpapered an entire room, floor to ceiling, all the way around, and it was, you know, just a, a small thing, a uh, the history of mankind and beyond, um, yeah. and that no, was fun. just that thing, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. that thing. Last year at the L.A. Art Show at the Convention Center, I put together a very large installation that was called the Paradise Circus, and it was a combination it was a big structure that was a combination of a cathedral steeple a confessional booth and a circus tent all in one so on the outside and the inside i had religious themed circus acts and when you went inside being the catholic boy that i was and know how to do you kneel down you pull on the rope that opens the slider and you get a quick glimpse of paradise which was actually it was my version of the garden of earthly delights by hieronymus bosch done with costume jewelry um, wow. And it was kind of fun. We had people lined up. I, I think about three thousand people went through that over the course of of three days. Um, it was a it was a really fun project to work on. It sounds like a lot of it, it reminds me of like like a Cirque du Soleil meets H.R. Geiger, or, or you know, <laughs> but happier, happier, Come but on. happier, yeah, happier with brighter paradise. colors, Blissful. brighter colors than H.R. did. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. That's cool. Where where can people go to look at some of this stuff and, and check it out? Well, certainly my website, JT Burke. Dot com. Um, okay. I have a Facebook uh, account that I post a lot of stuff to. And, you know, I'm trying to do I don't do I don't really do Snapchat. I, I post stuff on Instagram occasionally trying to prove to my kids that I'm not really an old guy, even though I kind of am. <laughs> that's um, a, that's a diminishing returns on that battle. man. I know. <laughs> tell me about it. Well, I just had my birthday, so I'm officially now pushing 60. I'm, uh, I'm 59 now. So oh, congratulations. doing pretty well Happy for birthday. a 59 year old guy who's posting to social media, for God's sakes. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you can remember where the buttons are, you're good. Right? What? What? What did you say? Get off my lawn. That's Let right. me Snapchat that. Uh, <laughs> oh. So that's oh, what I've been doing. And I, and I do a lot of that. You know, I have to say, I, I never consider myself retired. Not at all. Yeah. I, I am a working guy. I mean, I'm a working artist, and I spend a lot of hours every week either behind my computer, putting things together, occasionally shooting the jewelry stuff. Um, and I also have other things that I work on too. I'm you know, building a building and doing some stuff like that. But for the most part, um, I'm a working I love artist. how you just rolled through that. I love how you just rolled through that. Yeah, I have some other stuff I'm working on. Yeah, I'm building a building. And, well, that's you a know, small building. The world. It's not a big building. It's, yeah, know. lobbying Congress and, you know, some little <laughs> small things. <laughs> no, I tell you, I say this a lot. If I had it to do over again, I might have been a property developer or something. I love building stuff. I really love building stuff. I love the smell of cut wood. I like walking through job sites and seeing, trying to guess what rooms are going to be where. And I... I you know, I like making things, whether it's photographs, whether it's buildings, and I am a pretty decent cook, as you happen to know. Um, I do, yeah. Uh, you you can get down in the kitchen, man. I for, love to cook for I large groups. Cook. Yeah, I know. So I like to make stuff. I mean, in the end, that's really the thing that I do. I make stuff. I use my hands. And- I, I was gonna, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. It doesn't help that you're married to someone that is has culinary skills as well. That's right. right. My wife Lorraine was a trained chef from Culinary Institute in New York and that's how I met her, working in a restaurant when I was just finishing up at UCLA and and that's why we started the food photography business, you know. Originally, I wanted to be a fashion photographer. I'm fashion and celebrity. I lived in LA. Come on, you know, work with me baby, that kind of and so my wife, God bless her, she, uh, she spent two years with me going along with my crazy ideas. And when we got married in 1985, we went to Milan. We spent three weeks on a working honeymoon shooting. And I took my book around to all the different magazines. And, you know, I would get the same sort of response. They'd look at my pictures and they'd say, you know, this, we call this in this country the catalog of photography. And I was like, all right, thank you so much. And I realized <laughs> as soon as we got back from the honeymoon, I am never going to make a living in this business. I'm not. And then I sort of put two and two together. Wait, she does food. I do photography, food, photography. 
and that Chocolate we did well with butter. that. We yeah. did well with that for 20 yeah. years. So, you know, that cool. I got kind of lucky and uh, lucky that I met her and lucky that I figured it out in time before I went broke. So, yeah. Are. Yeah. And you, you know, not to dive too deep into this, but you, you sold a company that was in the stock photography sort of genre back before the whole decline of that industry or the let's not say decline as if it's over but the morphing of that industry into to what it is today it right? changed very specifically so we started with food picks as a sideline business to our photography studio business and uh you know that was at the time when there weren't very very many specialty uh stock photo agencies and so uh, you know, I remember I went to um, Image Bank and I tried to get them to take my pictures, and they said, "Oh, food! You know, who wants food pictures? I mean, why? Right. Whatever." And so then we thought, "All right, well, this isn't going to work out. Let's start our own business." So we came up with the name Food Picks, and we had 900 pictures that we had put together over 10 years, and we thought were great. And well, the first call we got after we sent out our little mailers, somebody called and said, "I have an easy request. I just need a glass of water." I had no water, right? How about a nice beer with a foamy head? I've got all kinds of great beers, you know? Yeah. And they, so we expanded it out from there, and, and it got big. And I have to say, when we started it, it was, again, a very different world than when we left the, the business. You know, we were still doing rights-managed licensing, and our average license fee was somewhere around $500 for every one of our food pictures, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. And then that's when royalty-free was still a really bad word, and I don't know if it still is. It may still be, but... You know, there was, if there's such a thing now as traditional royalty-free, we did I that. Know. I think the word of the day is micro-stock. Yeah, right? so, yeah. See, uh, I I'll don't give you a couple that. bucks and I'll buy a, a beautiful image or, you know, and not have to worry about anything. There are great pictures that you can get for 10 or 20 bucks. I, mm -hmm. I honestly, I, I don't know the business so much anymore. I mean, I got real involved with the stock photo industry and I was on the board of PACA, the the National Trade Association, and for a short while I even served as the president. Um, and it was a really different-looking industry then than it is now. Uh, and so I don't really know how people are still making a living doing it, and I think there are fewer of them, and the ones that are doing well are larger, right? You have to have at least a million pictures now to be able to have a library, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. again, I think, the world I think, is changing. I think with this... I was going to say, I think with this conversation, I think the the one thing that we can we can count on, whether it be the stock photo industry or brick and mortar education or anything, is change. Change, right? The, the, it's change. Change is the constant that that drives everything, and the people that are able to embrace that change and ride the wave rather than, rather than being encompassed by it and drowned by it are the ones that are going to survive. Whether it be the faculty at Brooks, the owners of Brooks. The students at Brooks, change is inevitable, and it's how we address and how we deal with those changes going forward that defines us, I think. Absolutely. I mean, we live, we are very fortunate to live in very dynamic times. I mean, you know, within our lifetimes, we've seen the rise of personal computers and the internet. I mean, my God, that's, that's huge. That's, that's something else. And, you know, relating it to, to school, I, I think it's a pretty common phrase these days that getting out of school today. The job you get is the job you make, right? I mean, you yes. can go out and yes. you can try to find a job somewhere, a traditional job with, you know, gives you two weeks vacation and health insurance and a 401k, but good luck on that one. I have to say my, my son recently graduated from college about a year or so ago, and he's a, uh, he's a video game programmer. He's doing very well. He's making a decent living. He got work instantly getting a bunch. By the way, he graduated from a for-profit college in Santa Monica, mm -hmm. um, but he's doing video game programming, but it's all gig-based work. You know, he has not yet been an employee. He's never gotten an employee paycheck. They're all gigs. He's had three different jobs he's been working on over the past year and a half or so. And as I say, he's doing well, but it's just a different world. It's just a different way of working. And, you know, it's one thing to have technical skills, but the other thing you have to have is you have to be quick on your feet and aggressive and looking for work or you just don't make a living these days, right? Yeah, you're you're independent. It's the it's the age of the 1099. You're you are your own person. You're yeah. looking out for your own health care, your health insurance, all that stuff. And, you know, I don't know. There's there's different worlds, right? So there's the world of the 1099 independent contractor and then there's the world of the salaried employee. Each has its own pluses and minuses. Like we said, the salaried employee you, the, that guillotine is swinging 
once a quarter, right? Yeah. And yeah. you don't know if it's going to chop your head off or your buddies or whatever. So you constantly live with that fear, depending on the organization. But then on the independent contractor side, there's that fear of when's the next gig coming and I'm feast or famine sure. and uh-oh, you know, sure. all these different variables. But it's more it's exhilarating, too, because you are you are controlling your own sale at that point. Well, as much as you can, sure. I mean, you know, you it's can, the free yeah. it's the freelance world. Back when, you know, when I was a young man, this was called freelance. And I remember when we had our studio our, early on, we would at the end of the shoot, we'd walk to the door and Lorraine and I had wave goodbye to the clients and they'd drive away and Lorraine would look at me and say, "You know, we don't have another job booked for the rest of our lives." <laughs> <laughs> And that was always pretty you know, humbling. You know those ramen noodles in the back of the cabinet? <laughs> exactly, We're going to have to break you know? those out. <laughs> exactly. And it, and, it's, and it was hard then, and I'm sure it's hard now, but, you know, a note of encouragement to everybody who's, who's uh, young and in this business and working at it, it gets easier as you get older. It does. Yeah. When you're yeah. first in the business and you're young, you get all the crappy jobs and the loser clients and the people that are all sure they know more than you. And you're lucky they hired you because they have a nephew that's got an SLR and they could do the same job you're doing and whatever. Over time, you get better clients with better budgets and more respect and you feel better about your life. And so it does get better. Right. But freelance yeah. is always yeah. hard. It does economy better. is hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, yeah. But the the good advice is, you know, try it and work through all this stuff, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, and as you get older, that you know, the things get easier. I don't know if it's perception, but things get easier because your experience gets you get more experienced and yeah. you care less as you get older. <laughs> well, maybe like, it's not easier. Maybe you just get used to the beatings. Okay, <laughs> you get yeah. yeah the scar much. tissue, all all the nerve endings are numb, so you don't you don't feel the beatings anymore. Right now, well, it does get easier, and I think you know. This is America, for God's sakes. This is the land of entrepreneurism and, and uh, a place where people can still make your own future and your own fortune. And I really do believe that, you know. Yeah, I believe it too. Uh, and so, yeah, you, I'm living you, proof. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, so there yeah, you are. You can do it. Where there's a will, there's a way. Jeff, Jeffrey Burke, thank you for doing this. Hey, and, and let me just take a second to officially thank you for inviting me to join the board at Brooks Institute. That was... That was a highlight of my career, you know, and it will remain a highlight of my career to have been invited by someone like you and the other trustees to come on and join an institution that I had long respected, especially when I was in I was Air Force photographer up at Vandenberg Air Force Base looking down at Brooks Institute and sort of looking through the window, you know, of like one day I, you know, if I'm cool enough, I could go to a school like this to be able to sit on the board and, and kind of guide the direction of what things are happening or what, what's happening at the school was a dream. So I thank you officially for inviting me to that. Well, board. you know, we feel like we uh, bamboozled you into doing it, but it worked out well. And um, you know what? It was, it was great to be on the board. It was great having you on the board. It was, and it was, it was a pleasure and an honor to be associated with Brooks Institute. It was. And yeah. I, will always, I will always think that. All right. We'll leave it at that. Jeffrey Burke, thanks for coming on This Week in Photo, and we'll see you next time. Frederick Van, thank you very much for having me. All right, man. Take care. Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.